0: Welcome to the Seeking Stories podcast, where we unlock stories so that you can master their secrets and change the world through your writing. This week, we're talking about the historical narrative prologue. Hey, Story Seekers, thank you for participating in this week's episode. Today, Kristen and I are talking about historical narrative prologues. So, Kristen, do you want to give us a little bit of a recap of prologues Prologues. in general? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, we talked about what a prologue was um, in general and then related to storytelling. Um, If you look at the strict definition, prologue is a part that comes at the beginning, often giving info about events that happened before the time of whatever play, story, whatever it is you're doing. Um, another alternate definition is a series of events that happen before the main event and are related to it. And I like that definition because it involves the related, the relation mm-hmm. element, uh, because a prologue that has no bearing on your story whatsoever is, is pointless, useless and pointless and boring. Google says that a prologue is a separate introductory section of a literary or musical work, which it is. Um, and again, event or action that leads to another event or situation. So kind of all means around the same thing that it's something that happens before your story that comes at the beginning and gives you some kind of lead in. So we talked about the action prologue. It's extremely common. You can list tons of movies that have one. Um, I mean, Finding Nemo is, is one, um, but like a movie, <laughs> you know, Harry Potter, you know, there's they're all basically like kind of one-off scenes that mm-hmm. open your story in the past, give you important information. And then it jumps forward in time. and starts where the quote real story starts. Um, and then of course there's the narratives, which, um, from what the movies we can think of again, less common because they're really hard to do as movies. Um, but there's a personal narrative, which we'll talk about in a different podcast, but the historical one, as you said, it's I mean as it's named, it's giving you history. Um, so rather than just one scene with like your main maybe your main character or one of your main like you know one of your main characters or whatever, it's giving you a bunch of information that happens over over time. So not only is it in the past, but all the information happens over a set amount of time.
0: And it's really, (laughs) most of the ones you see nowadays are a product of Lord of the Rings, which it's one of the ones we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Um, Because after, you know, Fellowship of the Ring came out, which really kind of popularized the historical narrative prologue, especially Mm -hmm. for epic fantasy, you know, and sci-fi films, then you saw a flurry of other movies, you know, do the same thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the ones we're going to highlight today are, you know, uh, Prince of Persia, which came out, I think, in 2009 or 10. Mm-hmm. Um, Clash of the Titans, Immortals, Thor. And those are all kind of your, quote, standard, fair, epic, you know, fan- fantasy, fantasy or yeah. sci- sci-fi type yeah, yeah. type films. Myths
1: and legends kind of thing. Exactly. And when you're dealing with the myths and legends, often you need some kind of backstory because not only is it fantasy, so it's not our real world. So, like, if we were to, you know, any modern-day set movie in somewhere in America... We understand our world. So, yeah, so it's, yeah, when you're talking about a world that is not ours, it's an unfamiliar world, especially if it's complete, well, it's, you know, and it's completely made up. So there's things that we have no idea. So that's why they feel, you know, these, the writers and filmmakers decided, well, there needs to be some kind of um, prologue.
0: Introduction. In introduction,
1: in yeah. And I think, too, because history is a lot easier to stick into a book. I think into the pay, into the main text of a book, um, again because readers will tolerate readers of a book will tolerate extra extraneous information within a plot a lot more than viewers of a film. Mm-hmm. You know, viewers don't want to see a ton of flashbacks every five minutes. You know, or someone just. Going off on a lecture about well back in you know well it's like
0: the council of Elrond in the Fellowship of the Ring book um mm. you know I think he, oh, when one yeah. went the special features though the producer says if we were to film this as written it would have gone on for like forty five minutes or an hour which and... is
1: like a third of the movie right right <laughs> for um, one chapter yeah the and book. It's, it's
0: a book I mean it is a massive info dump for sure but at oh, the, yeah. that point the story's earned it. Yeah. You know, at that point, you're halfway, almost halfway through the book. Yeah.
1: You already like have the hobbits to back it
0: up. Yeah. Exactly, and yeah. the audience is able to kind of buy into that because okay, it's it's really the time to set up everything else that happens for Rush of fellowship and yeah. two towers, and return yeah. of the king, and you have the time.
1: Yeah.
0: To to do it, it's yeah. still a danger to do a chapter that long with that much information but dump. I told you he know, I,
1: Yeah. He did what he wanted. He did what he wanted.
0: He did it brilliantly well. Um, you know, definitely. He wrote
1: tree beard. He knew Right.
0: Um. But it's you know definitely not something that's recommended even for books nowadays unless you really really yeah. know what you're doing unless you've earned your characters have earned the right yeah. to sit around and yeah. talk about the plot, which yeah. is a very difficult, hard thing yeah. to do, yeah, um, so Lord of the Rings took some of that information and put it in
1: mm-hmm. a
0: prologue because of the information that was needed to know,
1: yeah, well, and you know because the filmmakers felt that in order for the story to make sense from the very beginning, you know, especially because it's it's for you know any for anyone who had not read the books you know they're have they're going to have no clue you know the significance of a lot of the things they're seeing because they don't know the history you know they're going to you know when when bilbo first uses the ring um and if we hadn't seen the prologue that talked about the ring's history we would have been like first of all what in the world is that and it wouldn't have had any meaning like the whole you know there's a lot of like tense tension surrounding the ring in its first moments in the actual story, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the way, um, the way Bilbo talks about how he's feeling and Gandalf is like looking at him and he has that look, that moment where like Bilbo sticks his hand in his pocket and Gandalf is like, what's going on? Like he suspects there's all these like little details under the surface. And having seen the prologue, you know exactly like, you understand the weight. It would have been a very different movie if there yes. had been a
0: prologue there, and it, it still could have worked in a different way. It would have been more mysterious. Yes, but, but that's in that that's fine. But that's not what the story needed at that time. It right. needed tension, knowing that you know this ring, you know is powerful and it has been on this journey, and mm-hmm. that it corrupts people and all mm-hmm. these things. Yeah. Um, if we didn't know that leading up to the Bilbo scene, again, you still would have had probably a good version of the scene, but it would have been more about bilbo more about the mystery yeah. of things rather than oh yeah. you know about the ring and the tension of it all yeah which is yeah. you know what you know what the filmmakers were you know intending yeah. to do
1: well and again because you know you we we don't even know the basic like okay when frodo and gandalf talk you know when gandalf reveals to him this is the ring or whatever and they have that conversation you know frodo didn't know the history of the ring but he knows he knows the basic his I feel like he, he seemed to already be familiar with the basic history of their of his world. It's his mm. world. He knows the history of his world. He doesn't know all the details. He doesn't know anything about the ring or, or at least, not much. But it's like when you know all Gandalf has to tell him is this is the ring that the Dark Lord Sauron forged. And Frodo's like, oh, yeah. It's like well, he doesn't need to know more than that. And if you look at the movie, so,
0: there's kind of this gap between, you know, him uh, when. Uh, Frodo, th- through Gandalf, you know, puts the ring in the fire, then takes it out, and they kind of say, one ring through with them all, blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, oh, yeah. It jumps, and there's something sitting
1: at the table. Right. Yeah. And in
0: the book, there's a chapter, second chapter, it's um, The Shadow of the Past, mm-hmm. uh, I think is what it's called. And basically, a lot of the information in the Lord of the Rings prologue movie is in chapter two. Mm-hmm. It's another big info dump. Yeah, And it's basically, we're saying to the audience, no, we assume that... You know, because it's morning at that point, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, or actually, maybe it's not. No, in the book, it, I think it does get to morning. But in the movie, it's still night. But anyway, there's there's this jump. Yeah. And we can assume that, you know, Gandalf filled Frodo in those details. And yeah. there's a lot of the details that we saw yeah. in in the prologue. Yeah. Um, so, it, again, it's a way, because if the movie hadn't had the prologue, it would have been a, a good but still slow opening. Mm-hmm. But then if we would have had to sit through 10 minutes of Gandalf talking to Frodo about things.
1: and that. And he yeah. already
0: talks in for 10 minutes. It yeah. have been a 20-minute dialogue yeah. scene. Yeah,
1: but it's more, it's more dynamic, again, like... We, it's more dynamic. dynamic doll. It's talking about, well, what needs to be done? What can I do about it? How can we, you know...
0: It provides information in a dynamic way, which is one of our key yes. points on yes. the action prologue. Yes. So yes. in the same way, the historical narrative prologue should provide information in a dynamic way.
1: Which is hard <clears> because, <throat> you know, the, the, the word narrative itself is someone talking, and especially <laughs> when it's history... Someone talking about history stereotypically is kind of boring. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to make that interesting for your average moviegoer. So that's where a lot of, you know, some of the historical narratives that we have, um, have uh, identified and are going to be talking about, you know, really the, the, the gold standard is fellowship. The, their, their historical narrative, they did it really well you know i'm sure there are people who out there who didn't like it but
0: well and stories you know, are subjective
1: exactly you know so sure there's someone out there who's going to say oh i thought it was awful but i i don't i think when i when i watch them cuz we've watched all of these prologues you know and the way you feel after them going into the rest of the movie you know it feels, it fits, it's the, it's the same, the style doesn't change, it sets the tone right, it, it, you know, you feel like you've been given a necessary step into the story. You don't feel, I don't feel overwhelmed, and ironically enough, I believe one of the reasons the Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring historical narrative works so well in the movie is because it's so long. It gives you, because it does have a good amount, when you look at all the information it has to give, it is a good amount of information, um, but it doesn't give it to you in two minutes and like, you know, and like dump it onto you. It's not a true info dump in that it gives you time. Like the prologue isn't just a little thing tacked on to the beginning. You know, I feel like so many, you know, I think maybe some of the problems with who, you know, the people who wrote the prologues for the other historical narrative, you know, ones. It's like, they were afraid to take too long. They're like, oh, well, we gotta get this into the shortest bit of information as possible and then move on. And it's like, depending on how much information you're giving, that your, your audience goers are gonna be like, you know, after the minute and a half or whatever you spent on it, they're gonna be like, okay, what did I just, what did they
0: say? And why is this important? Yeah,
1: they're like, who, what was that person's name again? I forget. What, it, what did they say he did? And how long it, like, so it's like you get, they didn't give them time to really digest the information. And they did for fellowship. They gave it, it was like its own whole Story. scene in the movie.
0: The historical narrative, or really any, any prologue, at the end of it you should say, okay, I know why that was there, and I know why this is important, and mm-hmm. I know what to Expect yeah. you know, maybe not you know how the movie's gonna end by any means, but I know what's yeah. going to, where, yeah. the, where, where what turn the story's gonna take at this yeah. point. You know, an audience member isn't probably especially movie isn't gonna sit there and you know consciously think through all those things, but subconsciously mm-hmm. they should be able to answer.
1: Yeah,
0: you know those those questions. Yeah, um, and I, I think feel, should, yeah, should... I
1: think I just I feel like I'm still watching a movie when I watch the prologue. You know, because of its length, and also because the narrator isn't talking doesn't spend the entire time talking. There's moments where she stops, and you just get to watch the action. You know, there's even regular dialogue stuck in underneath. Um, you know, it basically, so
0: it, it takes historical narrative, and then it jumps to an action prologue every once in a while. I mean, the whole
1: thing—the whole thing—is action, but. You know, but yeah, it but you do into, see more
0: very specific yeah. specific scenes, even though it's yeah. more snippets of scenes. It's not yeah. like like Star Trek, and we talked about last mm-hmm. time, where it's you know one scene from beginning to, to end. Correct. yes. We don't really see that, yes. but we do see yes. we do jump in and see. You know, here's a little bit exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So you get moments where you can actually just watch and not having to listen. You mm-hmm. know. So I think that's one of the reasons it really works. Yeah,
0: and so jumping into so let's let's do this. Let's talk about. Um, why lord of the rings worked mm-hmm. we got six or seven things for why lord of the rings prologue work and they're hopefully actionable mm-hmm. items that you know you can add to your yeah. own story um yeah. the thing things to think about yeah and then we'll examine um three or four other stories um that kind of fit the same genre ish as lord of the rings that didn't do it well so we can see you know why why that didn't Comparison. why that didn't yeah. work ultimately Comparison. And the, kind of the biggest thing that I want to point out before we start is that... So we're going to talk about Lord of the Rings. That's the one we like. You know, spoiler. <laughs> if you haven't caught on to Bias. that already. Bias alert. And then four other ones that have various degrees of success. It's, um, and,
1: and not success, yeah. <laughs> right,
0: right. So Thor, uh, Prince of Persia, Clash of the Titans, the the, the remake from the mid-2000s or late 2000, or 2010 or so. Um, and then Immortals. Mm-hmm. And the biggest things. Um, just looking at the word count um, of each of the prologues, <laughs> is that Lord of the Rings is triple to quadruple L- the, the yeah, word count length triple. of all uh, of the other prologues. Yeah. Um. Actually, Lord of the Rings, if you kind mm-hmm. of break it down, so it starts off with kind of your typical flowery words, you know, the world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. And it goes on, you know, the the narrator kind of describing more of what the world is like, and you know, kind of the the basics of of ring creation, uh-huh. um, and this is something that you would typically see in your 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 standard fair prologue that doesn't mm-hmm. do do too well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually almost exactly the length, a little bit shorter of the Immortals of over, prologue overall. Um, even, yeah, even though Immortals even though really that one short. does jump into some some action there. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but it's again we're strictly looking at word count yes. here for for this kind yes. of exercise. Um, but then after that. It doesn't really jump into that flowery. It, it's it's well written for sure, but mm-hmm. that flowery language doesn't really specify too much mm-hmm. um, as far as you know things we can grasp onto as a character, you know, as an audience member um, until the end. Again, you know, mm-hmm. again, it does talk about you know three rings to the elves, seven rings to the dwarves, nine rings to the men. But at that point, you know, kind of playing devil's advocate is who cares? You know, why, yeah. why do we why do we care about that at all?
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So it takes you know three or four lines to do that, um, but then it says the prologue says, but they were all of them deceived. And that's when we're saying, okay, now there's conflict.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it brings in conflict Conflict right
0: immediately. Yeah. And that's something key that most prologues um, don't do or don't do well. Mm-hmm. Um, they either don't have conflict or they just kind of list a series of battles or events or <laughs>
1: like, things I like... I mean, there's conflict, but it's not personal. It's not... Or it's not... It's not weighty or... Right. And that's And that's what this... This has a lot of... I mean... Again, why it's important to know because there's a lot of weight mm-hmm. in the information here. You know, this is this is you know, in in for the characters who live it, this is like world ending stuff. Mm-hmm. And it says know? it
0: was it's very specific. And this is one of the things. So kind of point one on why the prologue works is actually names, places, and characters that are vital to know. Yeah. You know, it says, but there were all of them deceived. For another ring was la- made in the land of Mordor. Okay, so we know
1: where we are. Yeah. Where
0: and that's extremely important later on
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know in the fires of mount doom the dark lord sauron forges a master ring you know right there you've got two locations you've got basically a mortar's not a country but it's called a country for this a country it's a specific place in the country the, the antagonist villain. of the story in yeah. the main you know it's the macguffin the main you know mm-hmm. plot item that carries forward yeah um and what it does to control all others mm-hmm. you Now we instantly know who, who we're up against mm-hmm. in a way and that carries through till yeah. till the end yeah. um
1: and you know in a sense uh, as i think about it if you really wanted to argue this you could argue that this is a personal narrative about the ring
0: exactly because yeah
1: it, because for the most part it is the ring's origin story it is how he how it was created what happens to it who gets it where it ends up mm-hmm. it's and then so in a sense it's kind of Just about the ring. It really is. Which is, which I think is also one of the reasons. It's, it's very, um, it's focused. It's only focused on things that are important to the, you know, Mm -hmm. about. For the ring's
0: it It actually story. leads to point two, which is it treats the ring as a character. Mm-hmm. So really your historical prologue, even though it might be talking about, you know, broad you know, swaths of, mm-hmm. you know, world building, you know, it should focus on one or two characters in their, mm-hmm. their journeys or, you know, one or two major, yeah, elements. Yeah. You know, again, the ring isn't, you know, a human character, but it is yeah. very much a character in the sense of you know, it affects the, mm-hmm. the, the the plot and has the, the villain embedded within it you yeah. know without going into the lore of you know middle earth yeah you know he did you know put some of himself into it so mm-hmm. it, it does have personality you, yeah in the movie you do hear you know kind of the the dark speech in it the black speech in it yeah um just to kind of recap uh, or to kind of finish out point one though kind of naming the places and characters um and kind of why it's important you know instantly from there we see and this is going kind to of easier to do in a movie we see a visual of you know villages burning mm-hmm. um and we know instantly, okay, that this isn't just, you know, saying, oh, there's a, a villain, you know, this is why he's evil. Okay, we see it now. Yeah, we see and, the
1: effect. We see the evil.
0: Right. And throughout you know, the rest of the prologue, again, it only ever names characters in places that are vital to know later. And it
1: repeats them. It, talk, it, it does. It repeats them. It, it, when it tells a story, then we, we again, we, we end up back in Mortar. They talk about Mount Doom again. It's like we're back there. It mentions Sauron again. You know, it talks to, about the ring over and over again. You know, it really only name it only names a couple of people. It names Sauron, our big antagonist, is Sildor, the you know um, the son of the king, who you know we know he's important. Um, and then, uh, okay, Tessar, Actually, four people: Gollum and Bilbo. Uh, Bilbo. But again, those are important because those are they were all ring bearers. Mm-hmm. So that they're the only four people mentioned. They're the only ones we need to know. They're the only ones who've held the ring for any amount of time so that's why they're mentioned they you know and and it's i guess it's when you look at how much of a prologue there is when there's only four people mentioned overall and they're mentioned several times that's not really not that. There's really not that many.
0: Right, right. And if you look at the the special features of Lord of the Rings, um, which we highly recommend, Fellowship oh, of the yeah. Ring, extend the DVD. They have wonderful features, and they do have at one point. And I wish I knew which feature it was. I've seen them so many times, I can't remember where this one came from. Uh-huh. They do kind of show like a, a storyboard, a pre-visualization of. Um, some early versions of the prologue, and they do oh, kind of go go into more of like you know the alliance, and they talk about Gilgalad, the elf, and all these things. The characters who are in the movie or in the prologue, and or you see you glimpse and see, and if yeah. you're you know a fan of the books, you kind of can latch onto it. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, they cut that stuff away. Yeah. You know, I'm sure as a you know book lover, it's like oh, but I want to yeah. hear more of them. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, you know I do too. Yeah, but
1: well, the filmmakers did say in one of the features that in cutting the movie, they realized they they needed to keep. The narrative of the movie overall focused on only uh, scenes and, th- and information that had to do with either Frodo, the Ring, or other people's thoughts on the Ring or reactions to it. Um, and that if there was anything that didn't fall in those categories, they had to have a really, really compelling reason for it staying in the movie. And... Which
0: is why a lot of the scenes in the Extended Edition are scenes that don't really have to do with that.
1: Yeah, like it was were...
0: more about Aragorn's backstory, which is yeah. you know important for him as a character. But maybe not necessarily most important for. It wasn't the plot. vital to
1: under- Yeah, it wasn't vital to the health of the plot of Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I like that health of the plot.
1: Yeah, <laughs> just came up with it.
0: So ba- based on that, you know, historical prologues really should follow a character or two that are named um, that have a lot of bearing on the rest of the plot. So again, everything, mm-hmm. everything in the Fellowship of the Ring prologue has to do with the ring. Mm-hmm. Like, literally every mm-hmm. every single thing. It tracks the ring's journey. It makes the ring into a character mm-hmm. um, and basically follows its its journey, journey, really. And that's really the mark of a good histo- historical narrative. We don't just want, you know, you again, don't want an information lesson. done or a history yeah. lesson. Um, you, I mean,
1: you can make the history lesson interesting by certain ways, but usually it just feels like a history Right, a history
0: lesson, lesson isn't, you know... A story, really, you know, yeah. it might have his yes. you know, story elements in it for sure, hmm. but without something for the character, or something for the audience to latch onto and follow mm-hmm. over the course of a journey, it's really not going to be as is compelling. We're not going to care. Yeah. Um, we you know we might if we have prior knowledge of the you know event or something like that, <clears throat> or if we read the book and know things, uh, but unless we have a reason to, to care and follow, mm-hmm. it just it makes. It's so much easier for the audience to understand, yeah, um, why things are important, right? If there's an, a clear and obvious journey, rather than, you know, and this king fought this king and blah blah blah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> yeah. So basically, the the next thing we want to get into, so point number three, is that your historical narrative prologue really needs to quickly um get to the point of why it's why it's mm-hmm. important, mm-hmm. Um, and for for Lord of the Rings, it's. Um, really... I think
1: it's the first sentence, honestly.
0: Well, and that, that kind of sets the, the stage for it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the one that I would identify is um, one ring to rule them all. Because yeah. that's, you know, yeah. everything else is more set up. But the one ring to rule them all is the catalyst for the rest of the yeah. prologue and the rest of the, the story um, as a yeah as a, as a whole. The um, one ring to rule them all carries us through, you know, the battles mm-hmm. after that. Um, it kind of shows one ring to rule them all from a broad perspective, but also it shows one ring to rule them all from a very personal perspective, you Mm -hmm. know, for for Gollum, for the hundreds of years he had it. Mm -hmm. He is one of the all that it's it's ruling. And it really kind of takes that as the, really the theme of the prologue. It, it, you know, figures out what it's trying to say, what its theme is, and just, again, like you were saying, Kristen, for, you know, the other bits, you you know, every character is important in the prologue. You know the theme is important throughout the rest of mm-hmm. um, the rest of the historical narrative. Yeah. Um. But the main thing there is that it, it quickly gets to that point. Mm-hmm. Um. You no, know, again, it it spends the paragraph or so so doing the world building, setting things mm-hmm. up, and then it tells us, okay, yeah, this is why all that's important.
1: Yeah. Well, but I think even the even the part before that, you can, you can, still forgive that. Well, part part and partly because of. You know, it justifies itself once it gets to that part. Um, but and this may be another point, but I think it's also because you've got a very personal narrator who's talking to you and telling you these things. It's not just like some person, some voice out there that's telling you. And yeah, and then the this these rings were given to this person. This it's a lot the the I don't know, say the tone not the tone of the story, the tone of the narrator is much more engaging. I know, maybe that's a different point. But I think there's other reasons that we can forgive the first paragraph, because technically, if you look at right, the length, right. if you almost look look at the length of that up leading up to the one ring to rule them all, that's about the length of some of the other prologues. Right, right. Yeah. So it's like, well, how can we forgive that?
0: The delivery is emotional. I think what you're, Part, you're saying yes, in, in yes, a way. Yes, yes,
1: yes. Which is a slightly separate point. But yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So the next point is that um, historical narratives in order to work well should quickly progress through history again as Kristen just mentioned a minute or two ago
1: quickly it's not yes, a
0: history lesson
1: but not so quickly that the that your audience is left wondering what the what the heck just went went on exactly yeah. it's, it's
0: a fine balance of saying you know we're not going to give you every you know uh, blow to the sword um, right but at the same time we're not going to say you know as some other products do you know 100 years pass and this happened, but then 100 years pass and, and that happened yeah there needs to be a balance of of pacing there yeah um Mm-hmm. In, in Lord of the Rings does that, you know, it it, it gives us the moments that we need. Um, and sometimes it doesn't say, you know, it doesn't tell us exactly when, when mm-hmm. the ring was made. We don't need to know that. And again, I think um, mm-hmm. in one of the special features, they, they had one of the early versions of the prologue, you know, in year, whatever it was in the first or second, or second age, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, such and such happened. And, you know, that, that's great. Yeah. But we don't need, the audience does not need to know that for this particular yeah prologue in a, in a way you know it sets things up yeah. it gives us a general framework for when things are based on the look of it you know we know it's a medieval story for anyone who didn't know that going into it mm-hmm. we know instantly you know that there's you know not the technology we see nowadays um and then it takes us through through beats of history um delving down into the places in circumstances and situations we need to know takes us out, moves us along, tells us how long it's been, if need be, you know, for, was it for 500 years it poisoned Gollum's mind and the Guma mm-hmm. Gollum's cave awaited. Yeah. Sometimes we need to know exactly how long because we yeah. can see that, you know, the ring gives long life.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: that, you know, we, it's important to know for much later on that Gollum had the ring for longer than yeah. anyone else in history except mm-hmm. for maybe Sauron. Yeah. Um. But it doesn't need to spend, you know, tons of time seeing seeing that it's really it's yeah. judicious and what it tells and shows yeah. in a way
1: yeah
0: so point number six um because we know this podcast is already getting kind of long and we're we already to... at number six wow. yeah i, I think so that many um and then we still want to get to some of the ones that didn't do too well um but we we see that the conflict is set up um within the prologue and it does it also fairly quickly oh yeah um the line conflict that, that
1: extends into our main plot exactly
0: mm-hmm. and the the line i i found is that you know there were some who resisted
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know and from there then we we, so we get the line from the narration and then we delve down into the actual battle mm-hmm. scene that the clash yeah and you know the filmmakers again were very judicious in saying okay we don't need to spend 20 minutes on a battle scene we'll spend maybe a minute or so um showing, you know, the the broad scale of the battle and then we'll delve down and look at, you know, a few key characters. Some of them like Elron, we don't even know that he's a key player, but it's important that we see his face. It's important yeah. that we see Sildur's face and, mm-hmm. you know, the sword, the you know, Velen deals. Yeah. You know, um there. Mm-hmm. In um but we we instantly see why this is again, why this is all important, which is we always come back to in the prologue. Why yeah. why do we care? Why is this all important? Yeah. And the fact yeah. that we can see um a conflict and that there's, you know, and not, not every story you're going to have someone to root for and root against. You know, mm-hmm. um, some it'll be very black and white and some it definitely, definitely won't be. Yeah. Um, but we know there's conflict and stories cannot exist without conflict. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes things that history lessons, the info dumps don't have. Yeah. You want know, to say, you know, and then this king created, built this castle and then he died and his son inherited yeah. it and he lived a long and glorious mm-hmm. life and yeah. went fishing all the time and then he died. and No, that yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, we need to know. We need conflict for things to be interesting. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: And then, finally, the and there is one extra point after this. It's a it's a bonus point. Oh, bonus point. (laughs) Uh, But the the thing that the historical um, prologue needs to do, um, upon its conclusion, really well, and throughout the whole thing, but especially in its conclusion. Is to ask a question. You want the audience to leave the the not pro... necessarily
1: literally, but leave you with a question. Right,
0: right, through. exactly. Yeah, it's, a lot of times it's better if they don't you know, say Actually, and what is. happens next. You know, that's. <laughs> or,
1: yeah, or, yeah! Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a little bit on the nose, mm-hmm. but give the audience a subconscious need to know what happens.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and Fellowship of the ring does this and basically says, um, you know, why a couple things. Um, why is the ring still important once the dark lord's defeated, mm-hmm. and How will the hobbit shape the fortunes of all? Yeah, Uh, the first question is more answered by the end of the prologue. Um, yeah, this
1: is the whispers of a nameless fear, ring of power perceived, shadow in the east. Yeah, you know, it's like so you start to wonder. It's like, oh, yeah, because you by the time you get to his defeat, you're like, okay, he got defeated, and then and then it's like. Oh, but the ring stayed on, because this isn't Sauron's story. Technically, right. the prologue we're again, we've established it's the ring story. So it's like, well, what happens to the ring after? Mm-hmm. You know, and then it's like, oh, okay, then there's all these whispers and rumors and ee, kind of creepy stuff. And then it's like, but then the ring takes a detour. And, you know, she says something happened, the ring did not intend. And it's like, all of a sudden it's in Bilbo's hands. And so you're like, whoa, okay. Now we're with the hobbits. And, yeah, so you're kind of left with this question, like, okay, so how is this going to change the right. story? How you will know? the hobbits
0: shape the fortunes of all? Yeah,
1: yeah. And so, really your
0: last line, again, shouldn't ask a question like, how will the hobbits? But you should make some sort of statement that says, okay, then I say, wait a minute. How is this going to play out? Why right. is this important? We've just yeah. kind of established that the yeah. ring is the most powerful, you know, thing ever. And that hobbits are, you know, kind of, I mean, we don't go into history yeah. of hobbits at all. But yeah. We see that they're not these great warriors, so yeah. there's there's some seeming discrepancy there. Um, of course, it's not, but it's you know it, it's 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 a marking of a good story. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something and this is something else. You know, and they don't seem to match. Yeah, but it's obviously important, so we're we're interested now. Yeah. What's 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 going to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, and we there's there's enough emotional impact knowing that so many people have been affected by the ring, um, that the, the the evil dark lord's coming back. The power of it mm-hmm. that as an audience we want to find out what happens next, yeah, and then we're given the freedom to take a, a breath and go through, you know, what's in the extended edition probably 20 minutes yeah. of story that is a lot more, um, just uh, light in a way, yeah, you know, yeah, it, it does, gives us it time to, 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 to breathe, and it, yeah, you, you could even argue again, we're both huge Lord of the Rings fans, so we don't really think this, but you could. Especially in the extended edition, you could argue is that scene with you know Bilbo talking about the history of hobbits really necessary, and that's why it wasn't in the normal cut because right. it's, it's not necessary to the plot. It's yeah. helpful for us looking at the story as a whole to get a better idea of who mm-hmm. hobbits are, so that we get the emotional impact yeah. of what these but characters without can it, and can't do.
1: We understand the hobbits because we see them, we watch them work, we see the you know right. the way they dress and the way they walk and the way they talk to each other, and you know it's like.
0: Having the prologue buys us time to enjoy those things and give us a little bit more freedom yeah. to say, you know, okay, let's learn a little bit about these characters now. Yeah. Whereas if you just jumped into that, I think it would have been, you know, kind of yeah, a a yawn party.
1: A little yeah, it would have been a little, and I think too you someone you said the the prologue, that the narrative that starts out Fellowship of the Ring, it takes. It does take you through this, like, doom and gloom, destruction of the world almost, the world almost ended, The you know, the world as we know it almost ended, and it just barely hung on thanks to this guy, and, you know, but then, oh, wait, things are kind of happening that don't seem quite as good, and it's like, suddenly we're taken back through the cycle again, and we're left off with, is this going to happen all over again? But then right. cut to the hobbits, yeah. and then you're in this well, beautiful shire, And we and you're
0: crave like, a deep breath. Yeah. Fresh air. So
1: not only yeah, you get that breath of fresh air, but it also, you know, if you if you were to step back from it, it's also like, look, you know, here's this ominous threat It's leading, foreboding. But then you go to this beautiful, you know, uh, kind of paradise-looking part of this world, and it's like, you know, it. It's such, you know, it's like, well, these people are so peaceful and, you know, and it's like, how could all this evil be out there? Right, and it's going to happen to them. And then, well, yeah, and it's like, so it gives you, again, it gives you a relief. It gives you a chance to breathe. It gives you a, you know, like kind of takes that weight off because because the Shire world is so light and free and airy and they care less. They have no idea. But also it kind of gives you, again, a slightly more sense of foreboding because it's like they have no idea yeah that what's out there like this you know, in the audience this... we're
0: like oh we know yeah yeah it's,
1: yeah, and that's something I thought of earlier that, that something like this you've given the audience a bit of dramatic it's that bit of dramatic irony you've given the audience knowledge that some of your main characters don't have mm-hmm. even Gandalf doesn't realize the ring Bilbo has he's suspected it but he's does hasn't known for sure right what it really is he doesn't find mm-hmm. out until but without that prologue, like
0: we wouldn't really be able to truly enjoy those those bits in the Shire and yeah. really feel like the story at that point earns earns the earns the right to take a break and a breath of fresh air and open
1: an idyllic farmland. And, right. Yeah. Whereas if
0: it we didn't have that prologue, you know, again, it's still would have been a nice scene, but it, it, the story wouldn't have earned yeah earned that really at that mm-hmm. point, you know. But books are, again, books are a little bit different; they have a little bit more freedom there. Yeah. But in in a movie, you know, the audience wants to know why to why yeah. to care why they right yeah. away. So ready for the the bonus?
1: Yeah, bonus. So
0: bonus. This is not going to apply to most stories, uh-huh. um, but. The bonus for Lord of the Rings, specifically, is that um, it really had a <gasps> massive fan base willing to sit through a prologue.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you
0: know, yeah. the, the stories that that me and you write, you know, likely you're not going to have a huge fan base. It's just, it's just like waiting Lord... and chomping at, at the bit for yeah. that. Lord of the Rings had, yeah. you know, around 50 years yeah. of fans clamoring for this movie, you know, eagerly and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a worried fashion. Yeah, and Which
1: de- is ironic that that's... One of its advantages, because the prologue is written not for them, because they already know that as fans, they've read the books, so they know this is all. They know they know the context of the story already. They know all the ins and outs of this fantasy world. So technically, the prologue wasn't even written for them. It was written for people who'd never heard of Lord of the Rings, right? Who'd right. Never read it. So that's but that's Devil's kind of Advocate,
0: irony. though. The <laughs> the I think you know the people who read the books ahead of time wanted to see those scenes because. I think I think it set yeah. that set their expectations high in a good way. You yeah. would say, Oh wow, you know, I saw I saw Gil-Glad, who's never mentioned yeah. at all in I think yeah. the movies at all, but they probably point him out and say, yeah. Oh, I know him, I know Elrond, I can yeah. you know, I know he's obviously him, he's him. Yeah. It gets them excited to then enjoy the rest of the, yeah. the movie at hand. Yeah. So again, most most stories, the stories that <laughs> yeah. mean you're right, are not gonna have that, yeah. that benefit at all. Yeah. So you can you can scrap yeah. that one. Um so those are the the six um, kind of key points we've identified mm-hmm. for writing historical prologue. Um, you know, there's if you find more, um, there's probably others that we've that we've missed. Um, because we specifically looked at Fellowship of of the Ring, since that one is kind of the gold standard for historical, mm-hmm. um, narratives. But if you do find more, be sure to, mm-hmm. you know send us a tweet or an email or some sort of social media things we can discuss further later on.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but very quickly, because we do need to wrap this thing up, we're going to talk about really quickly about four prologues that didn't, didn't do well. And we're not going to hit every single. To, to,
1: to, to differing degrees. Some, right, you right. know, some were, some were decent and some were a little less.
0: And we'll just yeah. hit a few points here and there. Um, yeah. But Kristen, do you want to uh, jump into it?
1: Well, I, I would, I would say, first of all, um, we realized that a lot of these prologues, um, unlike unlike Lord of the Rings, stuck on an action prologue with mm-hmm. it. Um, either right after or in the middle. Um Like, like Clash of the
0: Titans is a good Clash example. Clash of the
1: Titans, yeah, had one um yeah, right immediate immediately after it. It goes to technically another prologue because it's removed by time. Your main care you see your main character as a young boy for one scene and then it jumps to when he's older. So you get your <laughs> you get your narrative, your historical narrative, um and then you get your action prologue kind of and then you mm-hmm. get the real story. So it's um you know, the Prince of Persia one, it sticks it right in the middle. Yeah. It it stops its narration, gives you the action, picks back up again, you know, um Thor, it actually, Thor actually does a flash forward after the, after this, you know, Mm -hmm. well, well, it goes from the narrative and the, the Thor one for me is a little, is a, it's, it's a conundrum for me because in one sense, I, I can't quite connect to the prologue. There's something about it that just doesn't, I, it's hard to put my finger on, but when you get to the end and it pulls into, finally pulls into the the present-day setting of of what it, you realize he is giving a history lesson to his boys. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's like, oh, this feels It like truly is a history lesson. lesson. it truly is. And I thought that that was fascinating. Like, I was like, oh. So it's like suddenly when you come into that moment, because he says, but the day will come when one of you will have to defend that piece and the, the boys are, you know, then they start that thing. And it's like, oh. Then it's like suddenly it's, it's very interesting. And part of me almost wished that there had been something earlier on... To
0: latch on to.
1: To indicate that we were... That we... <clears throat> that we were not the only ones getting the history lesson. Mm-hmm. That this was an actual scene where he was talking to his... You know, so, but...
0: Well, and I think the problem with that particular... So with the Thor prologue is that... um it goes back to there's not a, there's not a journey and it doesn't name specific characters you know that's looking true. through the entire thing right but even that that's not specific enough it does not name one single character Mm-mm. Um, it names a place it names the realm eternal Asgard which you know, we didn't honestly we necessarily
1: need to know that there we'd, we'd find that out anyway, right and it didn't
0: even name um, the frost giant's home which thing is what jotunheim mm-hmm. it doesn't name that yeah. at all and so the, it doesn't yeah. name specifics and mm-hmm. it doesn't follow anyone's journey at all yes it does show mm-hmm. you know it, an overall <clears throat> event of you know the battles between the asgardians mm-hmm. and the frost giants
1: but that even that isn't that is doesn't even become the main conflict in the movie mm-hmm. you know they it, it ha- plays a role you know the 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 bad the history and bad relationship between them has moments of importance in the story of the movie Thor, but that is not, you know, the main, it doesn't become the main conflict, you know, really. Cause the, the, the movie is about Thor mm-hmm. quite obviously <clears throat> and his, and his journey and his journey, you know, one of the biggest conflicts is getting banished to earth like that has nothing to do okay it's because he went to the frost giants realm and you know it has a major part to play in
0: the story but it's not yeah. the focus of the movie yeah so
1: it's yeah it's like we don't even you know it's yeah it's it's not quite connected to the story we're about to watch right
0: right you know? it doesn't like again lord of the rings it quickly gets to the point one ring to rule them all that carries throughout the course of the entire movie
1: yeah
0: there's you know the thor prologue doesn't it gets to the point of the prologue, yeah. pretty quickly, yeah, but the point of the prologue isn't the point of the rest of the story yeah it's more to set up a very important side plot, but it's you know not you know it's not thor's journey
1: mm-hmm.
0: it hel- it's it's an element our longest journey yeah but it's not his journey at all, yeah so that's you know kind of you know I remember the first time we saw Thor you know when it came out in theaters we both had that reaction it's like
1: yeah, I was What's... a little like, why did it open that way? I was like, I I was I was it was in that I was in that mindset where it's like I was trying really hard to to justify everything I was watching because I wanted to like the movie and I wanted it to be good. And I was having a really hard time with the prologue. Right. Through it. And I was just like, "Oh, I just don't know if this is the best way to open this movie." Yeah.
0: Okay, so Prince of Persia.
1: Prince of Persia is interesting. Um, well,
0: do you want to give a brief summary of the prologue?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it starts out very grand sounding, you know, long, long ago, ago was, in a land far away. It's like there basically, it's talking about the empire was Persia. So it's talking about the the vastness, the the scope and breadth of the empire. And then, you know, about the people who ruled it and the kind of people they were. And then, you know. And then it talks about that they had a the kings had a family and and then and then brings in um, uh, a day a king witnessed a single act of courage by an orphan boy and then it goes into our action prologue you know enter orphan boy things he does and then he gets adopted by the king because of his you know great character and it's like I I almost think after watching it I didn't. Need all of that other information mm-hmm. because we don't need to
0: know an empire the stretched from China to the shores of the Mediterranean. The empire was Persia, fierce in battle, wise in victory. Where the Persian sword went, order followed.
1: Yeah, I don't feel like that's we've... not
0: pertinent to the plot.
1: No, it's like it's like it starts out all grand, but then you quickly switch to you know a more personal moment with the boy and the because it's his story, mm-hmm. you know. And yes, he is introduced, but it's I didn't, yeah, it's like, there's no need to talk about Persia. There's no need to talk about how big it is. We don't need to know how big it is for the purposes of the movie. Mm-hmm. At least not that I remember. Yeah. You know, we don't even, it's like, I. it's one of those things where when I look back at all the information, I didn't need that information either at all or as a prologue. You know, the only information I think I think they could have done with just an action prologue. They could have had that. Street scene mm-hmm. opened with that, and then thrown you know, found a way to throw in the fact that he was being adopted. We make it more clear that he was being adopted by the king. Mm-hmm. Or and...
0: even an even better way, if I may, if I may be so bold. <laughs> sure. Um, again, I'm not the filmmaker. And they, they they do a good job in this in this movie in the grand scheme of things. I mean, it's not the yeah. best movie ever, but it's it's definitely fun. You know. I think what I would have done is not have a prologue at all and make the, that. the fact that he's a, adopted a, a reveal later on. Yeah, and that, sure. You know, re- movies are predicated on, you know, reveals a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you can reveal to the audience and what the the characters learn about themselves. You know, yeah. that it's kind of a, a double, um, you know, two-headed giant or whatever you want to call it. Two-headed eagle? I don't know. I was,
1: <laughs> Double-edged sword? Two-head,
0: two-headed something. <laughs> Two pillars of something. I don't know. It's late and I'm tired. Yeah. Um, but yeah basically you know you want the, reveal things to the audience and reveal things to, to the hero yeah. and I feel like you could have done both
1: Probably either, could have either done way without, yeah. you
0: know you could have revealed that to the audience right. and the character could have already known that or you could have revealed it to the character, and the audience would have also not known that, and then it's a double reveal in a way, mm-hmm. and that's kind of you know one of some of the bigger surprises. Yeah, and I feel like for the story, they missed the opportunity to have a really compelling moment
1: mm-hmm.
0: again for the audience or for the audience and the character. Yeah, um, but instead that was put shoved into a prologue,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, that just didn't work well. Yeah, and again, we, we don't really just seemed unnecessary, it unnecessary yeah. exactly.
1: Yeah, and I so. again I think something you mentioned there that is a the general with prologues of all kinds for any medium is try your story, whatever it is you're doing, without one. Oh yeah. And if it works, and if you can get it all to work, you get all the information and it's going well, like then don't do one. Right. But if you absolutely cannot make your story work without one. Like you said, it needs That's to be the, the only, absolute best.
0: Only reason. It needs to, do to be it. it
1: needs to be the only good way i forget how you said it It needs to be the best way to open the story it Mm -hmm. needs to be if that's the only way you can get this important vital piece of information across then that's when you do it.
0: nine times out of ten loosely speaking (laughs) you can dramatize your prologue into the story as a whole yeah there are Mm -hmm. there are times that that you cannot yeah um and there there are very legitimate times that, that you cannot or you know or even if you can, it's like, well, I, I could do it, but I'm 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 losing something there. Yeah. So Clash of the Titans.
1: Clash of the Titans was hard because I actually, at least visually, I when we watched it, I was enjoying the prologue. Um, oddly we'll it, enough, up until the last. Yeah, it and I think part of it is I do kind of like the way it opens. It says the oldest stories ever told are written in the stars, stories of time before man and gods, and it talks. So then it introduced the titans, and then how they were. They were uh, defeated by their son, Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades, which anyone with any type of Greek mythology training knows who they are. Um, um, and this is where, you know, it's you can question whether or not you really need to give this information to your audience because you also have to assume how, how cultured or uncultured is my audience? Do they know who Zeus is? You know, a lot of people do. Some people don't. Um, so and it goes into... Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, and then how Hades created the Kraken, and then where the three those three gods ended up. Um, Zeus in the heavens, Poseidon the Sea, and Hades in the underworld. Um and then it says Zeus created man, man's prayers for the gods immortality. And this is actually oddly enough, where I started to um kind of lose my connection mm-hmm. was when it started talking about mankind. When it's but in time, mankind grew restless. They be and it's just I don't know. It's some for some reason, that I don't know what it was. It it was.
0: There's no journey there.
1: Well, yeah, because suddenly, because suddenly we yeah we've turned into a timeline. Mm-hmm. It's gone from a story because the first part of it is a story. You know, here is the story. The Stories written in the stars. The story of the Titans who were defeated by their own sons and, you know one son convinced the other to do this and they created this awful beast and then this son was tricked by the other one into being stuck, you know, ruling in the world and he's, yeah, it's again, it's a story and then all of a sudden we turn into and then this happened and then this. Well, yeah,
0: it was Zeus who created man and man, man. And man's prayers for the God's immortality, but in time man congrues. It's like, wait a minute, that's a story right there in of itself, and we just completely gloss it's over just, it. it
1: well, yeah, and for it's just yeah, it's one of those things where suddenly we've we've turned into now we're a timeline narrative right
0: They begin and... to question the gods and finally rise up against them. Why? you know yeah. it's you know exactly said like you're it's,
1: glossing over a lot of stuff and you're just kind of assuming it's going to be interesting or that the audience your audience is going to trust you that it's important to know right
0: if and, this was lord of the rings what they would have done yeah. is kind of delve into action elements there, action prologue elements where we're following a character and saying okay this these are a few specifics it's like mm-hmm. when fellowship of the ring you know, you know says there were some who resisted yeah you know and they could have just said and then you know mankind rose up kind of like this prologue does you know, and they defeated Sauron, and yeah. then this happened. This happened. It's like okay, they just info dumped me right mm-hmm. there. We yeah. want to do some of the show yeah. not tell stuff here. Yeah. So in this case, what we really wish what should have happened is kind of again have a character to follow, mm-hmm. and then jumped into in scene
1: elements and of
0: why and have, how,
1: yeah.
0: and you know it's the typical what where when why mm-hmm. how you know question, yeah. and then we start caring.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And the other big thing is that this this whole prologue does follow the, the, the tales of Zeus, Poseidon and Hades, who mm-hmm. do show up again in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like they're you know, it names characters like we said they should do. Yeah. But these aren't the characters we follow. Yeah. You know, they have parts to play in the story at all.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But they're, you know, very much yeah. on the, the back burner for, for most of the story. Yeah,
1: Really I think probably the most important element mentioned is the Kraken. You know. And it's like, could you have found out some other way? You know where the Kraken came from. Probably, it's like, probably, yeah. yeah. You know, and I and I will I will admit probably one of the reasons I kind of enjoyed the first two thirds of the prologue when we watched it is the visuals. I thought it was a very creative mm. way visually to open it. You know, because we were in the stars, we were in space. You know, and I think that's where. And then again, when it turned into the but in time, mankind regresses, and I think that's where the visuals suddenly became kind of like stock. Almost like mm-hmm. I mean not stock images, but it just was very standard. It was very standard, very blah, and and yeah, it's it's an info dump, but not in information. It's an info dump in lack of information almost. Like time. It's like all these things happened, we're just not gonna give you any insight. Right. You know, it's like they're doing the one thing led to another and
0: yeah. like, wait, what?
1: <laughs> one well, thing led to another is not interesting. And one thing
0: we should have <laughs> clarified earlier to kind of kind of wrap up the clash of the Titan section is that just asking a question in and of itself is not okay. You'd ask the right question because this yes. this one does say, um, "Into this world, a child was born, a boy who would change everything." Okay, there, that's obviously a question there. You know,
1: it's very similar but, to the way the fellowship but one ends.
0: Why do we care? Why do we care that we change everything? We don't know what everything is. What yeah, needs to be changed? Yeah,
1: there we don't have a. Um, There's
0: no context or foundation to base that off.
1: Right, like like. For us, because we are we are mankind, it says mankind grew restless, they began to question the gods and finally rise up against them. And it's like is that a bad thing? Is it a good thing? Are we it's like we don't first of all, we don't know who to root for. We don't know who the good guys are. Right. It's and like we, we know that one of those gods created who,
0: an unspeakable horror, the Kraken. So. We don't
1: know how we should feel about all of this. So then it's like a boy who would change everything. It's like things need to be changed. Like what needs to be changed? Is this a bad Is this a bad world? Like, yeah, no, that's a good point. It's like, it's like, there's no, again, there's no weight. Mm
0: -hmm. You know,
1: we're not given any reason to really care about what's going on, you know, or to be concerned or elated or there's no emotional connection because we're just like, okay, cool. Like, this looks pretty. And it's like, should I worry? Should I be concerned? Like, what's the, you know, yeah, uh, it's... There's mm-hmm. no It
0: doesn't get to the it also doesn't get to the point really yeah. of Or all. the conflict. Yeah. Yeah. We we know that there is going to be conflict because Unspeakable Horror, the Kraken.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But that's not the point of the story, really. really. Yeah. Okay, so last one, Immortals.
1: Oh, this one I liked least. This was my least favorite and it's one. It's also the shortest. Watching it's it.
0: actually <laughs> the 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 okay. Just the um word count is just slightly longer than the very first part, the first quarter of the Fellowship of the Rings. Yes. So basically yes. the nine rings are gifted to the race of men who above all else desire power. Mm-hmm. Now that's kind of the the first part of the Fellowship Prologue that we identified as the world building before we yeah. get into the conflict and narrative. That's just a little bit shorter, again, word count-wise than this prologue. So mm-hmm. that's, again, just for comparison's sake.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, and ironically, it's the one I enjoyed least. and I And I think if I remember back watching it, um
0: let's just read it real quick it's yeah just to give context
1: well it says you know when the world was still young long before man or beast there was a war in the heavens talks about the immortals who realized they could kill each other and then in a war was lost a weapon of unimaginable power and the Epirus bow so that that's kind of the thing that becomes a big deal um victors declared themselves gods vanquished or renamed titans Interesting, different version of history from Clash of the Titans. Mm -hmm. Renamed Titans and forever imprisoned with, you know, and then Mount Tartarus. And then, yeah, we've got our, another, you know, huge range of time. Eons passed, mankind flourished, and a great war receded from memory. Which actually is slightly reminiscent of the whole Legend Became Myth, Mm -hmm. you know, um, kind of thing in uh, History and Legend, Legend Became Myth in the Lord of the Rings prologue. Um, and then it ends with, but that evil that once was has reemerged. Also kind
0: of sounding like Lord of the Rings.
1: And, you know, of course now, you know, now reading it, and this is something that, that I wouldn't have noticed, um, just watching it because I process information a lot easier when I'm reading, but it says the evil that once was has reemerged. And it's like, so wait a minute, what was the evil? Are we talking about the bow? Was that the evil? Or was it the, is it the Titans? Are they the evil ones? Like, so I realize, you know, realize realized they don't really establish what the problem is mm-hmm. here. You know, it's like it's basically told us there was a war, these people killed these people, a weapon was lost, and then the losers got got in, you know, imprisoned. imprisoned. And it's like, okay, who's the bad guys? Who are the good guys? Who are we supposed to be afraid of?
0: Mm-hmm. What's the exact conflict?
1: You know, yeah, it's like, you know, is the weapon of unimaginable power like like could it destroy the world? We don't know, and that, and I think part of the problem. I, I remember watching it, and feeling a little lost, honestly. Even though they don't give like a lot of, and I think maybe it's the lack of details. I felt a little lost, of like, wait, what exactly are we talking about here? You know, where are we? And especially because there was no action. It just focused on a, um, a like a painting, like a wall. You know, that kind of kind of displayed. It was like one of those old, you know, Mm -hmm. uh paint uh painting um like frescoes that's supposed to tell a story of the war. And it's like, okay, you know, so you don't get any action helping you understand what's going on. You don't get any details. And you also don't get any you don't get any real personal conflict. You don't get any emotional conflict Mm -hmm. from it. So then you're left with not Yeah, you're left with not feeling, why am I supposed to care? Yeah. Right. And And, and it
0: doesn't, I mean, it does name specific things, like, you know, Mount. uh,
1: Tartarus. Yeah.
0: And then the the bow and a few things like that. But again, we're not given. This is the only prologue. Well, I guess the Thor 1 does too. Where it does not name, you know, one character. We see characters throughout Mm -hmm. it. Um,
1: But we don't know anyone's name. We don't, yeah.
0: Right. And that's, it, it, you, there's no one's journey to follow. And again, so yeah. much of this comes down to, again, we, we identify six or seven elements that are important, mm-hmm. but really knowing who the characters are and giving them a journey throughout it mm-hmm. and having that, that journey pertinent to the rest of the plot with a conflict that's pertinent to the rest of the plot
1: mm-hmm.
0: is so important. Yeah. Without any without those things, these prologues are just, they're unnecessary and they, they collapse under their own... Um, just desire to to
1: they're, be important. They're, yeah, their loftiness. They're just they're, they're a little bit loftiness is too a good lofty. word. <laughs> and I think part of the other reason that, you know, the one one other big difference between those and the Lord of the Rings one, Lord of the Rings one is in first person. It's mm-hmm. the only first person one. You know, immediately the world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it, I smell it. So immediately this is a personal character. This is one person who, you know, isn't just a voice in the clouds talking to you. You know, this is a real person who is telling you, this is conversational. You know, mm-hmm. I something's wrong. I can feel it. I can smell it. And then it and then so you're automatically it's this you're you've got the, the tone established. You've got the sense of mystery. You've got the sense of foreboding and someone's someone that you can connect to almost as a person, even though you don't see your face. You're just like, oh, okay, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. And she immediately goes into, you know, this is how it began, and so you get your brief history lesson. You're like, okay, right. So you're you're engaged long enough to get just enough of the history, and four, then it four hits lines you.
0: of world building, and that's it.
1: Yeah, and then it hits you with the big problem, and then it goes in, and then it keeps going. And I think that's one of the reasons it works so well is because among all the other things that we've talked about, is it's a first-person, personal connection. Mm-hmm. And you're like, someone's talking directly to you. right? You know, this isn't just someone, you know, a professor at the front of the class lecturing to a room full of students, which is kind of what the other ones feel like a little bit. You know, I almost feel like, you know, when we're watching a movie, we want to be able to connect to the characters on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to be able to see them you know, if that's why narrator, a narrator in a movie doesn't usually work because you, you never get to see them, you know, they're never talking to you as a person. They're just, you know, they're just kind of, you know, they're impersonal. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think if you, you know, and that's kind of a lot of times what a book is, but it's okay because that's, how books are written so a book can get away with a third person impersonal narrator because you know they you know what you're you know what you're getting into your expectations are different you know and I feel like with these other ones if a if a prologue feels like you know you're in the back of a classroom getting the lecture or if it's the kind of a prologue that you might just read straight out of a book mm-hmm. that might be the kind of historical narrative that isn't going to work well. It's not going to connect with your audience. Exactly. So, yeah.
0: So to recap, the things that prologue historical prologues should do, um, it's they they need to name places and characters that are vital to know later. They need to um, basically identify a character. Uh, Ideally a character, you know, in some cases like Lord of the Rings, you know, uh, an object or some sort of major plot item and basically tell a story, a mini story throughout and give It'll it a journey. You why you should care about it. Right. Exactly. Really. Um, not just give a whole bunch of, you know, names, dates, and battles, but, yeah. you know, tra- track a journey, quickly get to the point, you mm-hmm. know, why, why is this, you know, information necessary? Let the audience yeah. know that as early on in the prologue as you can, um, Quickly progress through history, but not too quickly. You really want to yeah. focus on pacing and when do I delve down into an action mm-hmm. prologue? When do I pull back out? Because, again, that's some historical narrative prologue. When do
1: I skip over thousands of years? Of...
0: Right, and when <laughs> and when do I see a specific moments? So, basically, mm-hmm. choose your moments carefully. You know, again, know when to skip, know when to focus in.
1: You know, balance between specifics and generalities, mm-hmm. too.
0: Quickly set up the conflict. Mm-hmm. We need to know exactly, you know, again, using the broad scope of, of battle, even though so many stories... They don't quite go this deep, but know who's fighting who. Inmates might not be physical; it might be you know emotional or mental. But know what what the issue is mm-hmm. there, and then finally, ask questions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> from ideally, in two different spots, you know, from the beginning, you want the audience to to start asking asking questions. You want them to care enough to ask questions, mm-hmm. and then you want to leave them with you know ideally not you know an actual question that you verbally say you know what what happens next we'll let the audience start caring enough mm-hmm. so they say, well, let leave the audience them, say leave what them happens hanging next. hanging a little bit. You have to leave right, them hanging right. a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. And then if you happen to have a massive fan base, <laughs> that always helps. That
1: helps, yeah. Yeah.
0: So those are our, our six uh, main steps for um, we're working on the historical narrative prologue.
1: Once you've established that you actually need one, I think that should be come first, establishing <laughs> that you actually need one. Right. Should be your first mm, mm-hmm. you because
0: know. even for Lord of the Rings, they didn't they, they filmed a whole bunch of the prologue stuff, but they weren't exactly sure, my, my understanding based on the features, if they were actually going to include it at all mm-hmm. or if they're going to show it as flashbacks, which they mm-hmm. did show some of his flashbacks yeah. later on too. Yeah. Um but but yes, yeah, so you want to make sure your your narrative is as tight as possible. Mm-hmm. And if it really feels like something is missing that you can't incorporate any other way, you mm-hmm. know, try a prologue. You know, that might yeah. work, it might not. Um, again, if you're working on a movie or a short film, that's kind of harder to commit to because of all the logistics that go into it. But if mm-hmm. you're you're working on a book or a screenplay or um, a play or anything mm-hmm. like that, um, prologues are um, you know good good ways to experiment around. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I've done this in my own writing too. I'll start by writing a prologue because I feel like it's information that I need to get out of my own head, mm-hmm. um, and then I'll cut it later on. Yeah. Um, so again, nothing wrong with writing a prologue. Just make sure before you. Mm-hmm publish or distribute, yeah. you, you've you said, is this the, the best way to yeah. do it?
1: Well, and that could also be a good way to get out. these. This is information that doesn't necessarily like automatically fit, or I guess in an obvious way, fit into my main story. But these are the things that I think are important for the audience to know. And then you can go into your story and say, okay, is there a way I can put this in my story somewhere? Mm-hmm. And if you can't fit the elements in your main story, then you know, okay, well, somehow I have to figure out how to get it to them in the beginning.
0: Right. So... Make the audience care and make the prologue a story one way or another.
1: I think that kind of that's kind of what it boils down to. Yeah.
0: So thank you again for joining us on the Seeking Stories podcast. In two weeks, we'll be talking about the personal narrative uh, prologue. If you want to continue this week's conversation, have suggestions for new episode topics or want to learn more about writing or storytelling, feel free to visit us at SeekingStories.com or on social media. Until next time, go write an epic story.